Welcome to our Graceway Baptist Church Sunday School lesson for January 24th of 2021. So we are blazing right along in this year, aren't we? And um, we are going through different questions and answers out of the New City Catechism. And um, if you were to look that up on the web, we use the one that is from the Gospel Coalition if you want to follow along or even get a little more information. Thank you all for uh, watching this. And uh, we video this again so that if you had to miss, you get to keep up with what your Sunday school class is doing. And of course, the audio for this is um, available for the teachers. And so thank you, teachers, for listening to this and um, for your work, for your teaching. But not only that, uh, my uh, hope is that you're also ministering to your class, contacting people and um, keeping up with them. And certainly let us know if there's any way that we could minister to them or pray for them. And let's make sure that we get the, um, uh, the whole connection here and that it doesn't just fall short with a few people knowing, but um, we know about it in the office. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, let's um, take a look at this. And as uh, we've been going through this, you understand this is a question an answer type thing. And uh, these are the things that, um, again, I'm not going to say anything that you haven't heard all of your life. It's just the idea that we need to keep talking about them. Because if we don't talk about what we assume everybody knows, then what happens? We'll get to the point within a generation or two where nobody knows. And one of the things that is amazing. My generation, uh, we were basically raised in church. But when my generation grew up and started having kids, then the percentage of church attendance was already on its way down. And so a lot of the uh, kids today that are my children's age or my grandchildren's age, you would be surprised, teachers, what they don't know, what they don't know. Um, we were talking one time in Sunday school several years ago going through the book of Esther and I just happened in my class to say and of course we all know the answer uh, we all know how the story comes out and there was one lady in there that she said please don't say that she goes I have no idea and uh, that's one of the things we don't want to take for granted and so in order to solidify us and to make sure we're covering these things, we need to talk about these things. And we need to be reminded about these things because this really is um, the future of the church and of the faith. And we've got to be teaching and passing it on. So the goal here is that all of us will talk about these things, be reminded of these things, make the application of these things, but also that it might stir up somebody in your class maybe to talk to somebody younger about these things and be a little bit more confident about it because they address so many things. So here's the question. How and why did God create us? How and why did God create us? Now that's a great question because it really has a lot to do with uh, God, of course. And then it has to do with us and our purpose, and our reason for living. Because in the world, we are just all messed 
up on this one seemingly simple issue, this issue that quote-unquote everybody knows. And yet when you think about it, how confused are we today about gender? What, a, what genders are and uh, how many there are? You know, some people say there's like 80. I, I don't know how you uh, get to that. And uh, we're, we've been messed up for a long time now on gender roles. And we try to make everything so equal. And uh, we try to make everything to where it's just absolutely fair for everybody. And yet, I think instinctively, those of us who have any uh, age, any maturity on us, we know that's not true. We have the same creative worth. Okay, same creative worth, but we have differing functional roles. And uh, I don't care what you were to do surgically or hormonally to my body, I can never bear a child. Okay, that is not a role that is assigned to a male. And no matter what anybody does in their changing themselves to look like another gender, Whenever you, as a man, if you decided to become a woman, all you would really be is, to put it bluntly, an emasculated man, a castrated man. You would be living like a eunuch in Bible times, but you would still be male. And your DNA would still be male DNA. And there would still be certain limitations on what you could and could not do. And the same would be vice versa. Why is that? Well, think about it in terms of the creation of God. How and why did God create us? Here's the answer. It's a long one. God created us male and female, in his own image to know him, to love him, to live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by him, by God, should live to his glory. And that would be every one of us because all of us are created by God. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, that is very simple, and it is very plain, and it is very easy to understand. And yet mankind has been going for all of these years, trying to discount that, trying to change that, and uh, ultimately... It is with the goal, I believe, of making sure that God does not receive his glory. That is um, Satan's purpose. And so he twists and corrupts and changes all of this kind of stuff in a way that doesn't even really make sense, in a way that can't really be um, explained. It's not satisfying. It's not anything that that even fits or works in anything. We're running into that all over the place now. Just recently, there were um, a group of feminists that have filed a lawsuit because there were transgender men that were, or boys, that were 
running in, uh, particularly in girls' track, and they were winning everything because physically they were uh, dominating all of it, even though they identified and hormonally were girls. Well, what does that do? Well, the idea of feminism is to elevate women, elevate girls. Well, what is that? That is a gender. Well, in this weird time that we live, that's at a step with what so many others are trying to do. And it's like a snake eating its own tail. None of it makes any sense. And it's all going to implode uh, upon itself because there's one creative order. And that is that God created everything and he created us in his image. And you can't destroy that. You can mess it up, you can mar it, but you can't get rid of it. And he created us in two specific genders, male and female, with the same creative worth, but with functional difference. No matter what man tries to do, or woman, um, none of that is going to change. Okay? God is, number one, God is the supreme being and the authority. Um, when we try to take God out of the picture, when we try to take God and make him what he is not or less than what he actually is, all we get is chaos. The Bible says in Psalm 100 in verse 3, Know that the Lord, he is God. Okay, we could stop there and go, where are our problems coming from in this country? Where's the chaos? Where's all of the division? Where is, uh, you know, uh, the collapse of our society? It's right there. Know that the Lord, he is God. Our founders knew that in the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal. Created, notice. And uh, the founding documents and writings of this country at least acknowledge God as creator. Know that the Lord, he is God, the psalmist says. Now notice what comes out of that. It is he who made us. It's he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And um, when you put that together, that talks about the Lord creating us and owning us. This means that he has control, he has rights, and he can make demands of us. He can do with us whatever he pleases because he is the supreme creator. And so uh, as depraved human beings, we don't like that. And so we think that if we can just change the story, we can change the truth. If we can just change the narrative, we can change the principles of how the universe is governed and how we are to live. And of course, that does little or nothing in that because we live by his will and we follow his morality, we follow his commands. Whatever he says is right is right. What he says is wrong is wrong. And we find ourselves being accountable to him. And so we worship and we love and we obey him 
exclusively and there's no substitute. There are no other choices. He is God. He made us and we belong to him and we're accountable to him. Secondly, notice that this also means that human life is sacred. It's not like the life of a tree. It's not like the life of a kitten or a dog or a puppy or a whale or a snail darter or anything like that at all. The Bible says very clearly, for example, Psalm 8, 5, and 6, Yet you have made him, speaking of humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings or angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have um, put all things under his feet. Can you imagine? And that's why when you find that um, human beings Think of all of the animals we're able to tame. Think about all of the things that uh, environmentally in nature we're able to overcome. Think about building projects. Think about science. Think about um, all of the inventions that we have that are so wonderful and so marvelous. And think about how um, our ancestors for years, how did they cool off in the heat of the summer? Well, The only thing they could do was kind of get in the shade. Then maybe later on somebody invented a fan. You know, maybe at first you had a slave just, you know, fanning you like those pictures and movies you see from ancient Rome or Egypt or something like that. Well, then somebody comes up with an electric fan. And, uh, you know, all of these things help. But can you imagine how life changed when air conditioning came along? Can you imagine how things changed when in the wintertime when people were dying of exposure and dying of cold and they were starving to death in the winter because you can't grow anything and couldn't keep anything. Look how life has changed in all of this. Why? Because of what the psalmist said there. God has given us dominion over the works of his hands, over what he has created. And he didn't do that to dolphins. I know dolphins are really, really smart. And I like dolphins. I think they're kind of cool. But they don't build hospitals. They don't build highways. They don't improve their life. When you look around at the animal kingdom, you find very, very, very little, very little changing of their environment. Now, they do to some degree. And they do it by instinct. They don't do it by reason. And um, they don't change it much. And maybe there are some uh, species of animals that, you know, their instincts tell them to use a, a stick instead of their fingers to try to do something. But when you compare it to what human beings have done, and I'm talking about if you're going to be an evolutionist, a pure evolutionist, to me, you've got a real problem with why human beings can change everything in the evolutionary uh, uh, scheme of things. And yet the other animals change very, very little of their environment. Well, if you do it like that, it kind of makes you scratch your head and wonder what's happening and why the other ones haven't been able to keep up. When you look at it theologically through the Bible, you realize it's because this is the way that God created us because human life is different than 
animal life. It's superior. What is man that you would visit him and yet you crown him with glory and with honor? This is actually the work of God. And so what a lot of people, um, radical environmentalists and Darwinists and people like that, what they look at and they see as detrimental about human life. Uh, there was somebody not long ago that said it would have been better if humans had died out a long time ago and the planet would be better off without human beings. Really, that's not what God says. That human life is superior and that is made that way by God. And um, in fact, think about this. From God's perspective, thinking theologically, okay? Who is it that Jesus redeems? Well, it's not angels, right? And it's not dogs or cats or horses or trees. It's humans. And Jesus came and died for us. And we are the ones that are made redeemable, aren't we? In fact, think about when Noah came off of the ark. One of the first things God did was say, if a man sheds another man's blood, his blood shall be shed. Murder is to be punished, capital punishment. We also know that um, there are commands that are given. We don't just treat our children any old way that we would like. I mean, some species of animals, they, they eat their children. Well, we, we don't do that. In fact, our children are to be protected and they're to be taught. And procreation is to be done only in the structure and under the protection of a covenant relationship. It's called marriage. It's called a family. And all the research and all of the studies show that uh, children do better when they have a mama and a daddy and uh, the parents are married and that child is raised under the protection of that family. It's not to say that single parent homes can't be successful. Many times they are, but it's more difficult, much more difficult if you talk to single parents. There's a way God designed for things to work because human life is different than animal life and even procreation and relationships and all of that different among humans than they are among the animals. And understand number three, that gender is clear and it is enumerated. Okay? Male and female, he created them, it says in Genesis. Two genders. Then the Lord, Genesis 2, 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man, meaning Adam, should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. You know, sometimes people get that. It's kind of funny. King James says, I will make a helper meet for him, a help meet for him. And I've heard people say, this is my wife. She's my help meet. Well, I guess that would be true. And sometimes people Kind of, you know, well, that doesn't make any sense. And they called each other a helpmate or something. The idea in Old English was a help, someone who is there with you to walk with you, 
And the word meet meant fitting, suitable. So God was saying, I'm going to create a help that is fitting for Adam, suitable for Adam. Okay? And that's what um, Eve was called. And so uh, your husband, your wife, you were made to be together and to live together in a covenant relationship until death parts you and you are to help each other. And uh, men, you'll never be everything you're supposed to be without your wife. And uh, for wives, the same thing could be said of you because you are helpers suitable for each other. There's nobody else. I tell our young couples whenever I do a wedding that your idea of life is supposed to be you're Adam and she's Eve. Because when God made the two genders and put them together and married them, there was no Adam and Eve and an Ethel or anything over here. In other words, if Adam couldn't work it out with Eve, there were no spares. There was no place else to go. And the same thing is true. There was uh, not an Eve and an Adam and a Bob over here, so that if it doesn't work out with Adam, she can go over here and take up with Bob. There was no one else. In fact, if Adam and Eve could not get along, it was going to be extremely hard and extremely lonely. And it was God who said that it's not good for the man to be alone. Adam didn't know he was alone. He wasn't that smart. He had monkeys and dogs and all kinds of stuff like that. It was God who said that. Because God had in mind that he would put Adam in a relationship and they would be in a covenant relationship, not just a contract. Marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant between two people. And that in that covenant relationship that they would have children and the children would be protected, loved, and nurtured, provided for, and uh, all of that. And it would be a beautiful and a wonderful thing. The Bible says in some other places, read a few other verses, Genesis 1:28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Superiority of human life, procreation, the plan, all of it written out there. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. You shall teach them, meaning the law of God, to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your home and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, your home ought to be identified as a place where God lives, as a place dedicated to God. And the reason that you do that, and the reason that you have scripture in your house and the reason that you talk about the Lord, you pray to the Lord and you do it in all of those things is because your children need to have the imprint of who they are and who the family is kind of stamped upon their heart. We are Christians. 
We are believers. We are followers of God. We are worshipers of Yahweh. We are Bible believers. That needs to be so overwhelming to them and imprinted upon them. And notice here that it's not just to be done at church or at the synagogue. It says, you parents shall teach them. And you teach them in the home and you do it in the home because you're in the home more than you are at church. And so you teach these things. Let the church be the backup. Let the church be the reinforcer of what you are already teaching them. But please, don't just leave your precious children to learn this on Sunday morning in Sunday school and then forget about it the rest of the time. It's not going to work and it's going to be counterproductive. So many times I think the mistake is made. We think that an hour of church on Sunday morning, if we get that much, is going to counteract everything in the education system, everything on the television, everything that they see on the computer, everything that they hear from friends. And we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? They need to hear it from you at all times and all situations. So... We are in these families, made in these genders, so that we can populate the earth and so that we can place humans together in community relationships and also to replace those who die. That's important too, isn't it? And carry on the knowledge of God. Okay, let's finish up. Number four. All of this is for the glory of God. Now, if we're not careful, we will short circuit and we'll say this is for the good of the children. Well, it is. It is. But that's not the ultimate reason. We'll say, well, this is the best situation for a man or for a woman. This is what they need. Well, it is. But it's not the ultimate. The ultimate is that it is for the glory of God. In Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so we are created to glorify him by knowing him, to glorify him by loving him as we should, to glorify him by living with him, not only here on earth during this life, but for all eternity. Think about John 14. And uh, all of this is glorifying unto the Lord. And so these are the keys to the well-being of children, to the order and the uh, prosperity of society, of nations, of people, of families. And also, the blessing to future generations. I think that one of the things that ought to be on our hearts whenever you have children, whenever you have grandchildren, is that you want to hand the baton off to them in the right way. If you ever ran track, if you ever ran relay, and uh, you, it's time for you to take the baton, you know that there's a certain way that you're supposed to run 
There's a certain way you're supposed to hand off the baton. There's a certain way you're supposed to take the baton so that everything is smooth. It is seamless. You do it in stride and so that you can carry on the next leg of the race. And I think the enemy's plan is to so mess things up that when we're handing off the baton, we drop it. When we hand off the baton, we stumble. When we hand off the baton, we trip the next generation. And doesn't it seem like that instead of doing the best we can for the next generation, we're actually kind of tripping them up the way that we're living right now and the way that we're acting on things. Now, I know people would argue, oh, I do everything for my kids. Yeah, but if you're not doing it God's way, if you're not doing it the Bible way, you're really not doing it the best way. So I would challenge you to think about all of this. You were made for a reason. You were put into a marriage for a reason. You were given your children for a reason. Let's teach them the things of God. And let's model for them the things of God. Let's not just let it be a one time a week thing on Sunday. Let it be something that we talk about 24-7. Let it be something that enhances life. Let it be something that builds up life. Let it be something that gives them a reason for living, a purpose for living, and goals for the future. Creation and marriage and family and gender are all under heavy attack. Why? I would like for you to think about that. There's a good reason why. And it has to do with what we were talking about today and uh, what we were doing, what we are doing and how we are passing these things on to our children. So may God help us and may God bless us to understand that we are not put here on earth to reestablish, to recreate, to change the order, to mess things up, or to improve upon what God has already done. We are here to honor and to glorify him, live with him, to love him, to fellowship with him, all of those things that we talked about before, and to teach our children to do the same as well. So may the Lord bless you as you consider these things. Thank you, teachers, for taking the time to listen to this. Thank you for those who are watching this. And uh, in this, may we find the answers for how our society needs to be corrected. We need to get it back in order with the plan and the purpose of God for his glory. God bless you. Have a great week. And thank you again for tuning in.